You're listening to That YA Podcast. Fall for You, Episode 5. So Desi and I had our first fight. A fight that wasn't about what coffee order is best or whether Anzac biscuits should really be classified as cookies or even whether we had time to binge another episode of Black Mirror or we actually had to study. A part of me is still angry with her, but I'm going to go ahead and tell that part of me to shut up. She made it up to me. No, she made it so far up to me that she ended up going past me and landing somewhere in outer space. I mean, how could I get so lucky to end up with someone like her? Someone sweet and funny and equal parts shy and headstrong. Someone complicated and simple all at once. She's a paradox. On the one hand, it was like I knew her my whole life, but on the other, sometimes with some of the things she said, I wondered if I knew her at all. We'd met up at a little coffee shop next to the station before school started, like usual, grabbing steaming cups before half-jogging down the busy street to school. Three out of five of my before-school mornings were taken up by meetings by school council and meeting with my head of house to talk through whatever speeches I had. Today, I was going to run my speech by Mr Horowitz for Pride Month. With the help of the school council, I'd managed to organise pride badges to sell around the school for the next week to raise money for the Trevor Project. Yeah, my weeks were always this busy. I'd cut a few meetings short and opted to miss the last round of debating to have more time with Desi, but there were some things I couldn't afford to miss. She got that. I just felt a little bad leaving her at her locker when I ran off to the staff room. It's not like she didn't have any other friends besides me, but... Well, I didn't really know that. The only time I see her is when we're together, eating lunch in the quad or bumping feet in English class in the corner of the room. It was a Thursday, so I met with my counsellor in my free period before lunch. We usually used that time to talk about things I was anxious about this week, or we went through steps of how to lessen that worry. Sometimes we did breathing exercises. Sometimes we talked about what I should do when I have another panic attack. Today we talked about Desi. I... Never actually told Desi that I was seeing a school counsellor. It just... Never came up in conversation. Okay, I'm lying. Um, she knows about my anxiety and she's seen me have a panic attack for God's sake, but I don't know. Somehow telling her about the counsellor would make it more real. Like something I had to deal with. And I am dealing with it. I'm coping. Some days feel like too much and make me want to curl up into a ball and never leave the apartment again. And some days I have panic attacks in a bathroom before a test, but I'm fine. Everyone gets anxious. I don't get why it's such a big deal. Except maybe it was Desi. Because when she saw me coming out from the counsellor's building next to the science labs, looking up from the drinking fountain, you'd think I just told her I had a terminal illness. My stomach dropped. I knew I should have told her. I should have told her about seeing the counsellor when I first started going. I shouldn't have hid it from her. But I didn't hide anything from her. I just didn't tell her. I didn't want her to worry. Or was it that I didn't want her to know? Didn't want her vision of me to be tainted? I didn't want her to think I was someone who couldn't deal with the universal stresses of teenagehood, 
Least of all that I was someone who needed to be fixed. It was stupid. There was only a few more minutes until the bell, so Desi made up some excuse to go grab her books and come out and join me. We sat on a wooden bench beneath that old scraggly tree in silence. Neither of us spoke in the minutes before the bell rang for lunch. I didn't know what to say to her. It's not like I should have been ashamed for seeing a counsellor, and there was nothing wrong with that. But I don't know, maybe there was something wrong with not telling Desi. For all that time when we were silent, when we both went to say something, we started to talk over each other. We both stopped in unison, and I let her talk. There was tension between us, and it was almost palpable. The air buzzed with it. I've never felt that way with her before. Why didn't you tell me? she asked. There was no point in denying it, and no reason to either. My parents always told me that mental health is just as important as physical health, but that didn't change the way that society viewed me and had prejudices against people with mental illnesses, people like me with anxiety. But I knew Desi. I knew she wouldn't react the same way other people had in my past. Like my classmates who just stared at me when I was having a panic attack, or the ones who whispered about me in class the next day. Year sevens could be cruel. I thought I knew her, but I didn't anticipate her next words at all. Why would you speak to a counsellor about all this and not me? Her words stabbed me in the chest. All this being anxiety? I asked calmly, trying to steady my breathing. She wasn't like them. She cared. She understood. I told her about when I started seeing the counsellor, why this kind of thing helped me. My fingers were knotted together in my lap. When I finally looked up at her, I saw that her brow was furrowed. Why didn't you tell me? She repeated. I took a deep breath and said, I... I didn't want you to think any less of me. To think any less of you? She laughed. It wasn't a kind laugh. How could I think any less of you? She started listing off all the reasons why she could never think less of me. I don't think I'd ever heard hatred in her voice before. She mentioned my apartment and being able to go to school without needing a scholarship and being able to afford whatever I wanted without having to work part-time because I got allowance from my parents. I don't know what that had to do with anything. Sure, I was privileged, I knew that, but... Just because my parents didn't have to worry about money and I didn't have to get a crappy job at Macca's before and after school didn't mean I was immune to anxiety, like it was some kind of infection you could prevent by just sticking to the good side of town and getting straight A's. How could she say what she did with such disdain? Is that all she saw when she looked at me? I might have said that last part aloud, I can't really remember. My throat had closed up and there was a ring in my ears like all the sounds were muted. I was either going to collapse inwards, my ribs puncturing my lungs and compressing me until I couldn't breathe, or I was going to explode. I didn't mean to yell at her, I swear I didn't, I just... I... I told her she shouldn't keep doing graffiti. I know, I had no right to be controlling, especially when I was already angry about the way she reacted. But it's dangerous, she could get really hurt, or worse. Not to mention what would happen if the police came. I don't think that kind of thing is exactly legal. So she'd get, what, fined and lose whatever money she had? Or locked up and lose so much more than that? 
I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if something like that happened to her. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. My words tumbled out of me. All the fear I hadn't verbalised the other night at Spotswood, those lingering thoughts that kept me up at night, everything. And she just sat there, not saying anything. I wonder if she even heard what I was saying, or whether her silence was meant to be defiant. I didn't want to hurt her. I just wanted her to know what it feels like, to know what she gets up to, and to hope that she'll be at that little coffee shop before school on Monday morning. I wanted her to understand how much I care about her, and just want her to be safe. And I thought there was tension in the air before we spoke. Now it was like the air was filled with smoke, and each inhale made my lungs feel like they'd caught fire. I thought I'd really done it. I thought I'd ruined this thing, this amazing thing we had between us. I really did. No more shipping Marlowe and Kurtz from our English book. No more doodling in the margins of our math textbook when we both pretended the other was doing work. No more lunch dates or meeting up in the city at night. No more texting till 3am or last minute studying or holding hands or more. I thought all of that was gone in an instant disappearing like my words that made fog on the frosty air. I was wrong. When she looked up, her eyes glistened with tears beneath her choppy fringe, and she said, I'll stop, Megan. If it means that much to you, I'll stop. Her words wobbled at the start like she wasn't quite sure, but the last one was firm, decisive. She hesitantly reached out a hand, and I laced my fingers with hers. They were cold. I'll make it up to you, she said. It wasn't just my hand she took in hers, it was my heart too. I didn't know what she meant at the time, but it's safe to say that she did make it up to me. We didn't see each other again after lunch before heading home. I didn't mean to avoid her, but I'd just had choir after school and there was no point in her sticking around. For the rest of the afternoon, my mouth tasted like I'd eaten something bad. What I said to her left a lingering taste. The words were sour and sprinkled with regret. Dad wasn't home from work when I finally got back to our apartment, so it was just Mum and I. We sat at the bench for a while, her doing work on her laptop while I transcribed information from my legal textbook. An old Broadchurch episode we'd both seen before was humming from the TV in the background. Neither of us could work in complete silence. Tonight was taco night, so when Dad called to say he was finishing up, we abandoned our work and headed into the kitchen to cut up tomatoes and lettuce and whatever else we felt like. The rest of the night passed like most of them usually do, with the trading of stories from annoying colleagues or what we like to call commuter fails. You know, there are always some characters on trains. Last week, I kid you not, there was a man in a trench coat looking at a pocket watch and get this, right? He was soaking wet. I hadn't seen it rain all day. It was totally crazy. We'd been trying to get through the first season of Sense8 for a good two months, so we sat down to watch an episode before I went back to studying before bed. It was hard when the rentals threatened to behead you if you skipped ahead, so I kept my promise and only had a fix of Nomi and Amanita once a week or so. It was almost midnight when I went to bed. I felt like I'd done enough study to not fall asleep feeling anxious. I was about to change into my pyjamas when I got a text from Desi. I'm in the lobby, was all it says. She hadn't texted me all night and then that arrives? I didn't even reply to the message. I just called her. I had to speak to her. 
She answered on the first ring, but I spoke before she could. What are you doing here? I whispered. My parents both stuck their heads into my bedroom an hour ago and said they were off to bed, and I didn't want to wake them. How did you get inside? She said breezily that someone was leaving and came in when they left, but promptly told me to get my butt down here before security could realise she actually didn't live in these apartments. I grumbled, but complied. I couldn't exactly leave her on our own there. I quickly changed out of my trackies and into jeans and pulled a jumper over my faded tie-dye top, slipping my feet into ducks without bothering to tie the laces. The rest of the apartment was dark. I was about to leave without telling my parents where I was, but on second thought, I scrolled a note on the back of an old test and left it on my bed, just in case. I had my phone with me anyway. I saw Desi as soon as the elevator doors opened. She sat on one of the fake leather couches, on the very edge, like she felt like she wasn't meant to be here. I tucked my phone into the back of my jeans and walked over to talk to her. The only other person in the lobby was a security guard, looking bored. Beyond the windows that spanned the front of the apartment, the street was dark, and beyond that, the yara and pinpricks of light from the other buildings. When Des looked up, she wore a hesitant smile. I asked her what was going on, if she actually came into the city this late at night. Why wouldn't she have just called me if she wanted to talk? My words came out in a mix of worry and anger, but my stomach flipped inside me. Seeing her always did that to me. I have something for you, she said. You couldn't have waited until tomorrow? She bit her lip and took my hand. Her eyes were wide beneath her chubby bangs. There was a darkness under them, like she hadn't slept all week. She led me towards the revolving door, but I stopped. I told her that whatever she had for me, she could give me here. I didn't really want to be wandering around the streets in the middle of the night. Desi laughed, saying it wasn't really the middle of the night. I looked at her sceptically. The middle of the night is that dead time between 2 and 3 a.m. when it feels like the whole world is asleep. That time isn't moving at all, she said. When there's a silence that travels on the air and a stillness that cloaks the city. It was incredible how sometimes all Desi could do is take my hand and smile at me, those two actions saying more than any words ever could. And then sometimes she'd say things like that, like she was straight out of a book. I don't think I could ever get used to the way that she thinks. She's unpredictable, and that's what I like most about her. Sometimes I can't tell what she's feeling or what she expects from me, but sometimes just being with her is enough. There was no chance in hell I was wussing out on this night with her. So I followed her into the night. Right then, I would have followed her anywhere. The air was cold against my skin. Folding my arms across my chest didn't do much to help, so I grabbed onto Desi and held her against me. Together, we waded through the darkness. I knew where we were headed after a few moments, a few familiar turns and the realisation of what was to come. She didn't need to offer twice when she held out a hand and beckoned towards the gallery. I asked her if she was allowed to come here at night, but I wasn't sure I wanted to know the answer. Desi told me that her manager knew she was coming tonight, that she'd been begging for weeks to get a key and surprise me, her artsy girlfriend, she said, for something special. It was meant for our three-month anniversary, she said with a grin. But, I guess, happy three months, four days. 
and then she inserted the key into the metallic door and pushed it open. Inside the gallery, it was pitch black. Des pulled the door closed behind us and felt for my hand. I held on tightly. Close your eyes, she whispered. I laughed. I couldn't really see anything, but she insisted, so I obeyed. There was a click and the room flooded with light. I scrunched my eyes closed, slightly flinching, and then she was leading me forwards. I stumbled, even though the floor was flat, expecting to walk right into a priceless work of art. But thankfully, by the time Desi said I could open my eyes, there'd been no horrible crashing sounds. It took my eyes a little while to adjust to the stark lighting that lit up the abstract pieces on the walls. She must have led me into one of the smaller exhibition rooms from off the main gallery. Was this one of the exhibitions that was scheduled to open in a week or so? I couldn't help the sound of amazement that escaped my mouth. It was... incredible. But then I saw the picnic rug laid out at the floor, weighed down by unlit candles. Were the candles too cheesy? she asked. But I didn't say anything. They weren't. It was beautiful. Everything was beautiful. And I'm not sure how she planned it all. I moved towards the rug and sank down onto it. Desi unzipped her backpack and pulled out packets of Oreos and shapes and snakes. She started explaining that she would have liked to have got better food, but she didn't have enough for that right now and she hoped this was okay and that I liked it. And I just kissed her. She hoped this was okay. It was spectacular. This is the best thing anyone's ever done for me, I told her. And it was. No one had ever gone to that much trouble for me before. I didn't think I was even worth this much to anyone except my parents. And they didn't count. And that's how we spent the next two hours, knees touching on that checkered red picnic rug. The packets strewn out in front of us, but mostly forgotten. So was the artwork. When I was with her, everything else seemed to melt into the background. Who'd want to look at some paintings strung up on walls when you had someone infinitely more incredible in front of you? I couldn't take my eyes off her. The way the soft light from the candles danced across her features... The way she looked at me with those big doe eyes and took my hand in hers. When she finally walked me home, I felt like I was floating. I was giddy on her, high with love. I love her so much. I'm not sure how I could ever live without her in my life, and I don't want to find out. I don't think I got much sleep last night, but I mean every word I'm saying. Desi, thank you for everything. Thank you. Megan Chen, signing off.